Welcome to the Gossip Stomp Podcast, where we cover the Ocarina of Time randomizer. We focus primarily on the racing and the competitive scene, as well as various other related topics for the community as a whole. Hello, everybody. We're back on the air. Uh, it's me, Emo Soda, uh, your host for now. Uh, I'm joined by two guests today. Uh, the first guest, uh, we've last seen her in episode 26, talking about League Season 1. That was in June 2021. Um, it's Yoshi Keon. Hello. Hello, hello. And hello to our next guest here, our second one here. Um, first time guest on the podcast and my student, Doc Heaps. <laughs> hey, how you doing, Emo? Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, you were a top 64 competitor, right? In uh, season five, the most recent season. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I know you O2'd. It wasn't uh, the best experience <laughs> in the world. But you just I had think... to. You just had to go there. You know, didn't you? I have to say, I mean, welcome, I have to, welcome my guest, top top sixty four of one oh and two. Welcome in, Doctor Heaps. Hey, I'm one and six in league right now, so I don't have much room to talk. So, um, no, no, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So. A lot has happened since our last episode, so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about each of the different events. In no particular order, we have League Season 2. Um, thankfully, I have Yoshi, one of the organizers here to talk with us about it. Uh, we have Challenge Cup uh, for Season 5, as well as the main Season 5 tournament that just wrapped up. I believe yesterday, the day before, it's getting a little fuzzy now. But mm-hmm. we've just had so much happen in the past couple months that... Uh, Really, just a four-month turnaround time for an entire tournament. Double elimination, you know, top 64. That I think a little bit faster or as fast as Season 4 was, and that was already the fastest tournament that we've had. So I think uh, it's been awesome seeing all of this, like, kind of flourishing of uh, formats, different tournaments, new rando features. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Uh, since November, we've had a few different changes within the randomizer. Um, as well as some uh, RSL Season 4. Uh, we just had the Swiss wrap-up. Uh, by the time you hear this, it'll have wrapped up, and we're moving on to single elimination bracket. Again, we'll talk about that later in the episode. But first, I wanted to start with League and how that's being kind of perceived by the community as a whole. It's been, I don't know, it was a long break between Season 1 and 2, right, Yoshi? Yeah, we... They don't want to clash with the major tournament, um, but the scheduling kind of worked out really awkwardly in a way that we wanted a break after season one to kind of fix things up a bit. Basically, there are a lot of problems that came up in that first season. 
you know, we were looking at 154 players in League S1, I think. And it's kind of the biggest thing any of us had ever done by a long way. So, yeah, we took a bit of a break. And then if we'd started in September, it would have run into December pretty easily. Clashed with the tournament. So we just held off until after that. And yeah, uh, wrapping up S2 now. Yeah, so that was just after the qualifiers for Season 5 ended. Uh, and I think a few rounds into Top 64 is when uh, this season of League started. And we have a couple of weeks left. Um, not a lot of time to get the remaining matches in, but mm-hmm. it should be the most exciting part of the uh, the whole league. So um, some settings changes since Season 1. Um, Random Age, Vanilla Spawn. Um, hammer rusted switches through walls trick is enabled and the dead hand without curry sword trick is disabled um, more participants and divisions 179 racers at the start up 25 from the first season and four more divisions added 7e through 7h um, I'm, I'm so glad at like how conveniently that worked out by the way yeah <laughs> but, like every division is like a multiple of six so if we have an odd number, we just cut a few from the lower divisions to make a division of five. But otherwise, it's, everything is a multiple of six. And as we're watching the signups tick up and tick up, we're like, oh, my God, how do we balance the numbers here? We have to cut two division sixes to make extra division sevens. And at that point, we have to figure out what happens to the division six players from last season who can't fit in division six anymore because there's fewer of them. And it worked out really nicely that we could just go, okay, plus four, the end. Yeah, definitely. And also the FPA for this season uh, is the new monitor list FPA, fair play agreements, that only race monitors would be used for restream matches. Um, So a little bit of background on that. So it used to be that for every single tournament match, every league match even, right, they would have to have a race monitor for every match to be watching live, checking for... Uh, any crashes, make sure that players, you know, respect the uh, the FPA. So um, it's kind of great. Like one of the greatest things that we've had in the past few months, even, uh, has been this as kind of an invention for our tournaments. And I don't know how, how do you uh, how do you like it versus the old style, Doc? Um, I mean, I personally really like the fact that you know we're working with a hundred. 80 runners trying to balance schedules and you know it's hard enough to just try to schedule matches between the two of us let alone trying to get a race monitor in uh and also just like you know sheer volume of matches for volunteers it's 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 such a big ask that i think it was a lot nicer and more convenient and from a scheduling perspective to just be like okay i've got this match this is when my opponent can do it we're gonna do it uh, and, and if there's a crash, we'll figure out the timing later. Things will be okay. So I think, I think it's helped make the, the match scheduling as well as racing process just a lot smoother overall. I think we had 36 people sign up to volunteer in the first season. And so we said from the outset, we were like, there's no way we can do it for every single race. So it was just kind of the top divisions. And then we get people in kind of the mid to lower divisions being like, well, why don't we get FPA? Why do why do they get it and not us? And it's we don't have the resources to do it for everyone. It it's just completely impossible for us. Um, 
I like this method a lot more. It means that people can work around their own schedules. It means that, you know, we can have a race just take place and then we'll go back and we'll spot check races. We'll just pick out random races and be like, okay, get somebody to watch over this after it's happened. Just have both streams up, both chats up. Tell us if you see anything that looks out of sorts or whatever. But it just makes it so much easier on everyone involved. It means we don't have to work around... Some of the uh, some of the West Coast races in particular were a nightmare for volunteers because most <laughs> of the volunteer God. pool are European. So, <laughs> well, especially when you get the two West Coasters that are like, "Yeah, you want to do like 9 p.m. PST," and everyone's like, "No, no, we don't. We don't Perfect really want to do 9 p.m. PST." <laughs> yeah, midnight Eastern. Oh God. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been pretty popular i think across just all the other tournaments have been using it um especially for random settings league great there because we're not stretching the this volunteer pool from league and season five's not stretching it from that as well so you know <laughs> it's it's kind of a mess it, it gets out of hand pretty quickly as all things with rando um yeah it's been it's been great i think now how has season two gone so far um yoshi what's the status so there's like a couple of weeks left at this point, a bit uh, less than that even. So most, a lot of the divisions are wrapped up already. Um, there's quite a few where all of the promotions, relegations have been completely decided. That's it. Um, as far as like handling everything goes, it's been so much smoother than the first season, but there is still a lot that we know we have to work on. I think the biggest thing that I like to see from an organization side is we've had still a lot of people dropping out, and I think that's kind of unavoidable, but about half the number from the first season, which is great. More people are playing games, more races are happening, and people are getting more kind of involved in everything. I definitely think there are some conflicts. Let's, let's put it, let's put it, Politely, there are definitely some conflicts about some of the decisions we've made. Um, we have some ideas in mind of how we're going to approach that. But one of the issues is there's only going to be two weeks between seasons. So any of those changes are probably coming in for season four, not three. Yeah, that uh, I, think, I think the turnaround time, uh, especially with you know season five just wrapped up, Challenge Cup just wrapped up. Um, RSLs moving into their single elimination that I think it's a really good time for league to roll out their season three. Um, because, you know, Rando at this moment has kind of wrapped up all of its biggest tournaments moving into the summer where people are going to maybe have some more spare time or more opportunities to play. I think it's a really good timing to, to roll out like, Hey, we're going straight into season three. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And like the whole point of the league structure is meant to be that on both an organizer side and a player side, it's fairly low maintenance. It's the whole season from open signups to end of season is 13 weeks. And that sets us up perfectly to do three seasons a year, then a 13 week break for the main, like the main tournament and then go again. 11 weeks to play 10 games for the vast majority of players is not unreasonable. Mm -hmm. Especially, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of people who want to join other tournaments or there's a lot of people who want to just take things casually. 
this is kind of built for those people. It's, it's not... I say it's not intended. If people want League to be their 100% main focus, going to pour all their resources and time into being number one in the League system, great, they can. But if people don't want to do that, the schedule kind of works for those people who want it to be on top of everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great that it caters to a variety of racers and play styles and make sure that everyone can participate if they want to, which it's great. Um, now, a few things that I've heard from people are, well, what if people just get burned out on League? What if, you know, there's no changes? Like, what does that really, you know, are these settings good? That's a question. You take that, because that is a loaded question. Oh, I... All I can say, like, obviously people are going to disagree on this. One of the most contentious points, and this is a conversation that I know I personally just, after three, four years of arguing it in this community, I am sick of it at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, I know that when the, I think it was Seasons 4 settings polls happened, open and closed Deku was 49.9% versus 50.1%. <laughs> and you cannot split some of these things some people are going to like it and some people are not and our aim isn't to make something that everyone will enjoy and it isn't to make something that the top runners will specifically enjoy or that the newer runners will specifically enjoy our aim is to offer something different to other tournaments so there are a lot of people who love the league settings i know i've spoken to a couple of people who absolutely cannot stand random spawns or closed deku or i can't even think of what else was relevant within that but there are people who specifically like the changes we've made and there are people who absolutely despise them mm-hmm. and that's going to happen our aim is more that the people who don't want to play the main tournaments the weeklies that kind of thing have settings that they can play and enjoy yeah, I've I've kind of it's it's been really interesting watching the progression of the kind of what you would consider standard Ocarina of Time randomizer from you know CSR season one. We're kind of seasons one through three in most of the side tournaments, and that was when ladder was in, like relatively all functioned within the same settings. And then I think you've seen this real big divergence, kind of really kind of after season three, where you know, we started getting random spawns. We started skipping, you know, going and getting Zelda's lullaby check. We started now doing chest size matches content with possible chest textures matches contents. And and I think kind of you, you see this fork in the road where um, SGL took a certain set of settings and made that their brand. And ZSR has kind of taken their own settings and made it their brand. And League has kind of taken their own settings and made it their brand. So... I think it's just kind of interesting watching as, you know, people are finding new settings, finding what they like, what they don't like, and how that has kind of caused this divergence in different groups to latch on to certain settings. Not to say that one is better than the other, but just that it's just been interesting watching kind of this branching of settings in these different organizations. Yeah, for RSL, we have that problem uh, tenfold. So for every single setting, that's possible in Randomizer, right? 
how do you <laughs> how do you even approach that necessarily? Same problem, different um, material, but it's why for a lot of it, it's just like well, it's a coin flip because it's going to be 50 50 in the in the weights or there's going to be one guy that's like this is the best setting on earth and i quit if it's not in like or up above a certain percentage and it's hard to deal with that um especially if the community itself doesn't really realize what they're doing and that's you have to stay calm. You have to stay collected. It's not necessarily, you know, it's not all about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I want to say to the community. Well, and um, also, also the recognition that, you know, when you play on different settings, you practice different skill sets. So even yeah. if it's not your preferred, even if it's not, you know, the end all be all, you know, I want to be number one in league, but just by playing league and having different settings with different logic and different tricks, you learn different skills that makes you a better Ocarina of Time randomizer runner in the long run, uh, mm-hmm. whether or not it is your favorite set of settings or not. Yeah, I think the big thing with League, actually, I, I ran some numbers earlier because um, there's been a lot of discussion about whether the League settings are like, like, it's really interesting to me. We did season one of League and people were like, these are some of the fastest settings we play I've ever played. There's a ton of jet seeds. We're getting ridiculously fast settings compared to the season four that people were used to at that point. And then this season, people are like, every seed feels like a slog and it's last location every time. And I'm like, that is variance. <laughs> this is variance <laughs> at play. And I actually, I took all the numbers from this season of League at the time of recording and it's really funny to me because the average of all wins across all divisions, so we're talking 573 matches that played out, and the average winning time is three hours and seven minutes, which sounds about reasonable to me. Like, that sounds like a typical time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the fastest time in Division 1 and the slowest winning time only, just the winning times, the fastest and slowest times? The slowest time is double the winning, the fastest one. <laughs> I believe that. W- I believe that. <laughs> one hour 40 well. versus three hours 20. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's in Division 1, so like you're going to see that probably across the divisions, right? I mean... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just a high-variance format, and... There is a lot that we want to do with it, right? Like, one of the big things with League was the kind of main tournaments have definitely pushed a bit more towards this execution playstyle. Whoever does the highest number of checks in the lowest amount of time should win every time. Whereas the aim with League was to kind of draw a little bit away from that execution and a little bit more towards the decision-making and the logic. It doesn't matter if you do the most checks, as long as you make the smarter plays while you're doing it. Now, obviously, variants will play into that. Randomizers are randomizers for a reason. And sometimes that won't be the case. But I think on the whole, that has worked out. And it's really fascinating to me to see people kind of really get on with that or really go against that. There's this massive kind of split between people who are like these are terrible settings because it's just a casino and other people are like this isn't a casino you just have to make a choice not every choice is a casino (laughs) 
And I, I love seeing that split. And at the same time, I hate being the organizer who has to balance that split. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely difficult to say for sure or not, you know, whether or not the decisions you make as an organizer are the correct ones. What if communities are reacting? What if they're right? and <laughs> We're just all wrong. Like, that's also possible. Yeah, um, going back to something you said a minute ago as well about this idea that you kind of, you have to listen to the feedback you're getting. But I'm also like, I'm so conscious at all times reading all this feedback that on the one hand, some people are just very, very loud. And seeing the same criticism a lot doesn't mean the majority think that. It means that the people who think that are very outspoken. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I don't want to be in this position where I'm like, oh, you don't know what's good for you kind of thing, like telling people what they like. And so there's this real balancing act of listening to the feedback and trying to pass how much is coming from different places and how much of it is following, like, is reasonably thought out in a way that makes sense for the aims we're trying to achieve versus how much of it is the sort of stuff that we can, I don't want to say ignore, but worry about a little less. Yeah, kind of the, the what feedback fits within the mission of League and mm-hmm. what either doesn't or goes against it. No, I think that's a very valid point in, in discussing not only just settings, but just the approach to League in general. I think that's really smart. Yeah, I think it should also be mentioned at least that it's it's kind of a thing that you can drop in and out of right like it's kind of meant to be that way for some people like if you don't like that there's no changes for season three so be it just come back in season four there might be other changes or maybe not maybe you won't join season four that's also fine there's also i mean there's so many people that are obviously interested in 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 league so it's right so i mean I, i think if a lot more people kind of had that kind of mindset maybe you know, it's not the only avenue for competitive Ocarina of Time randomizer, not by a, a long shot. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's a pun or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, and, 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 you know, I, I think when I look at my approach to, to League, at the end of the day, you know, I, I do League and I play OTR because it's fun and because I have a good time. And, and I think that's kind of my big takeaway in, in league is, you know what, if I'm having fun, let's keep doing it. And if I'm not having fun, you know, maybe it's not for me, uh, and playing league, it's fun. Uh, you know, sometimes I do, you know, dumb stuff and I lose and that's fine. But at the end of the day, I'm having fun playing a game, uh, spending time getting to know the community. And, and for me, for me, that's enough. I, I feel like. I feel like this could be an entire podcast episode on its own, but there's definitely this kind of mindset within the community that you have to play every single event. And I don't think that's the case. <laughs> if you don't like the format, you don't have to play. If you want to take a three month break from the game, take a three month break from the game. I stopped playing for a year and then came back very casually, like half a year ago. And like, it was one of the best things I'd done since I started playing. It was absolutely necessary. I think, I obviously, we want people to play, but we don't want people to play if they don't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of comes back down to like your, we did an episode 
few uh, few months back about time management with randomizer. It's also a pretty relevant one to this discussion. But um, yeah, I don't think it's been the case since season four started that it, like the main tournament's not the only thing, um, or like main tournament plus league. There's so many other things out there that are popping up all the time every few months. So if you want to take a few month break, great. There'll probably be two tournaments waiting for you like when you get back. So um, yeah, breaks, breaks, mental, physical, or otherwise, you, you kind of need them for a randomized game. Otherwise, you could kind of go crazy. <laughs> just trying like, to master also, RNG. Or, see, you also know. life, just generally. But oh, yeah. you know, that's, a, that's a topic for a different day. <laughs> oh, for sure. Now, what, what division are you in, Doc? Uh, 5D. 5D. How's that going? Oh, terribly. Thank you for asking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, a little bit of my, my subjective side comes out to say that I have very much lost many a seeds by saying, I'm going to go to X dungeon. And I lost because the, my item that I was looking for was in Y dungeon. So, you know, I, I, I will, I will keep those, keep those comments to myself as I am on a lovely losing streak in league right now. What's your record? Uh, one and four. It's fine. One and four. Okay. Okay. So you're beating. I mean, I mean well, ten, <laughs> <laughs> technically two people three. dropped out. So if you add those free wins, oh, then I'm doing a lot okay. better. But <laughs> yeah, that's definitely fair. Yeah, I'm just my my division is so tough. <laughs> Like I pretty much knew I was going to get relegated off the bat, but um, there's always the the chance to play well. And yeah, today I no. just lost to Sanzo, but I mean the first one, the first match against him, I also beat him. But on the other hand, my whole division is just top sixty four S five runners. So I think me. my uh, <laughs> I think my proudest moment was reading a hint that Water Temple, um, that River Chest had it, it was it was either river or rolling boulders and i like got them mixed up and so i had like counted items and i was like cool. all right counted keys and i'm like cool this last check has to be a key so i'm just gonna skip it in water temple and sure and if it, if it was like my go mode hammer so hmm. um you know that was my, my proud proud moment of misreading hints costing me the game so that was fun yeah, I'm just glad that I can play the game still, honestly. After I had that <laughs> hand injury in December. Holy oh, moly. That took, that, you, took you a good month to recover from. Yeah, two months. Um, so I, in case those that don't know, uh, I was walking home from the bar one day. And it was midnight, so I didn't want to, you know, call, spend money on a cab or uh, an Uber or something. So... Uh, I was quite drunk. Uh, felt like I could run across an intersection, so I did. Felt so good, I just kept running. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I just tripped, <laughs> like on a hill going down and <laughs> just paved, oh, just paved my skin on the cement. Um, and it, <laughs> I, it's the single moment, I'm blaming myself for it, but it's a single event that I can point to and say, that's why I'm not an S5. <laughs> so I... <laughs> No other, no other reason. Just that one right there. Yeah, that's why. Probably because I mean, it, the last two <laughs> qualifiers that I played, I was like basically bleeding still, <laughs> still trying oh to play. It was, it was so bad. So I, I'm kind of glad I didn't make it because I, I think my hand would have 
fared a much worse, you know, playing all the time. So yeah, speaking um, of taking necessary breaks. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you have to. <laughs> sometimes you're forced to, whether you want it or not. So um so Yoshi, looking ahead to season three of League. Uh, I know we're in season two still, but what are some possible changes for season three? Okay, so we don't want to make too many changes right now. The idea was to get feedback forms. Season one, we all just like massively burned out by the end. There were four of us working on the league by the end of season one. We were exhausted. So it just, I will hold my hands up and say like, we just, we did not get them because of that. This season, we want to do the feedback forms, but obviously we're conscious of the fact that well, there's only a two-week break. Even if we get the feedback, we probably can't analyze it in time. So those changes will be for S4 in terms of settings. However, there is one big thing we are definitely considering. I won't say this is finalized. One of the big things that came up during both S1 and S2 is that a lot of the players in the middle of a division feel like their records don't matter. They have to avoid being relegated, and if they don't get first, that's it. It's irrelevant. So the way the system is currently done is we always have one promotion. And then the number of relegations is based on how many people move up. So, for example, Division 2, one player promotes to one. Division 1, there is one promotion up, so one relegation. Whereas, like, Division 3, A and B each promote one, so Division 2 relegates two. We're looking at flipping that on its head, maybe. So two players relegate from every division. And then the number of promotions is based on how many spots open up above them. Hmm. You have to make those kind of those middle places feel a little more valuable. If you if you're in division two right now, you finish second. Nothing happens. If you're in division one and you finish fifth, nothing happens. We're looking at changing that, basically making those those middle ones feel like they have a bit more to play for. So having a little bit more movement up and down than just kind of the the one and one that's been before. Right, and it avoids kind of a lot of the top and bottom divisions feeling kind of samey. We don't want, assuming nobody drops from Division 1, you'll have five of the same players the next season. Like five of the six players will be the same people who were there before. So just kind of shaking things up a bit and changing some of the faces as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just spreading around the value, making it like, just every game is that much more valuable because every spot on the division is more valuable. So I, I like that as an idea, I think. And uh, it should be able to lead to less fewer drops, too, I, w- I would imagine. After four months of the biggest main tournament bracket ever, Season 5 has now come to a close. So a quick recap for all of you listening. In case you haven't heard of Season 5 for Ocarina of Time Randomizer, the main tournament, uh, it was top 64 seeds from qualifiers based on points. There's a whole formula for that. You can go look it up if you're interested. But um, double elimination bracket as well. You can check that out at challenge.com slash ZSR Uter uh, S5. And uh, it was just huge. It was so huge that it <laughs> it kind of broke a, the podcast here a little bit. We just didn't. We had no idea what to do for coverage, and it just kind of we're just kind of paralyzed with fear a little bit, I think. But um, and it came around like the holidays and and stuff like that. So it's 
the lack of season five coverage on the podcast is definitely uh, my bad. Um, we just couldn't get around to it. There's just too much stuff happening. Kind of like we've uh, said already, but um, we had the grand finals though. Um, from the winner's bracket, Carioso, French runner versus Sponge, American runner. This is a VC virtual console versus emulator battle. First time um, emulator players got to the grand finals. Is that right for Carioso? Mm-hmm. And this is a pretty, pretty great match. I think uh, it was a rematch of the winners of a winners bracket match early on in the tournament, uh, where Carioso won over Sponge, and I had the opportunity to be on commentary. It was great, uh, nice short seed, uh, but their paths to the grand finals here. Carioso was number seven seed in qualifiers, beat my former rival Zephyr in round one. Round two beat Kevin, beat Purple Rupees. Round three, someone who, by the way, has gotten a lot better um, even just since last summer. Uh, round four, that's when he beat Sponge. Winner semis, beating What the Hells, then beating Marco right after. So no slouch, really. And Sponge's path was fairly similar. Uh, number two seed in Qualls beat Spike Vegeta, then beat Ice Nine, Just Sam, then lost to Cariosa, beat Riley. Blue Floosh and G Skate and what the hells and Marco. And then finally on to this match. So both of them had to get through this, kind of the same opponents at the very end, the same end bosses of every tournament that you kind of see in these, uh, the main, main season. So I think previously they were kind of referred to as the rando gods, right? You had like five players above everyone else, like by a long shot. Now that's that gap just keeps getting, more narrow and more narrow over time as you have just more people playing the game. You have so many more formats, different ways to think about the game and approach it. And you have all these kind of sub communities now too. Um, you know, you have French runners, you have uh, scrub runners, uh, people that are in the scrubs tournament, people that only play random settings and the main tournament. And there are a few people that, that do that. So, um, just seeing that it's great being able to have everyone beat everyone is kind of more stressful for runners, but at the same time, I think it's better for everybody, but um, yeah. What, what do you, what did you think about season five overall? Um, I loved it. I mean, <laughs> as, as a, as a personal love for, for having played in as five, but also just, you know, it, it was, such a fun season to watch um watching you know sponge get back to the grand finals cariosa who's never been to grand finals um watching you know matches against people like what the hells and marco two previous winners uh and then even seeing new names you know we had ecola who has been truly on the grind who placed first overall in the qualifiers um so I, I I just think that there was such a such a great tournament, and then also you know looking at you know we were talking about settings for for league, you know looking at some of the new settings, looking at chess size matches contents, and how that changed routing, and how that changed you know people's approaches to different dungeons, and it just like it was it was fresh, it was fresh, and it was so exciting to watch, and some great matches and some close matches. I I love the whole thing. I think, yeah, saying about 
kind of seeing these new names come in. I think that was the like the most fascinating part for me. It's like people who've been around for a long time, but really kind of had a breakout performance here. People like G Skate or Purple Rupees or Yo-Yo Canary. Like there were some people who had some really strong performances here. And it's, you know, watching Duke, one of the kind of five rando gods at this point, Duke's two losses were to Ice Nine and Engel. And, like, that fascinates me. I love seeing the new names come in. And I think the move to top 64 was necessary by this point. The community has grown so much. But it also allows some of those kind of lesser seen players, the players who have always been on that bubble, to really come in and make a name for themselves. And I love seeing that. Mm -hmm. I was... I was so floored by G-Skate. Uh, I think G-Skate was in the 40s, if I remember correctly, for qualifiers and made it so far in the brackets. I mean, just everyone else was top 10, top 5, and then here comes floating in G-Skate, or G-Skate, excuse me, uh, in the 40s, uh, just, just rolling through the loser's bracket. It was so incredible to watch. Round four on the winner's side has like Gumba versus Marco, fourth versus fifth seed. Sponge Carriers are second and sixth, uh, second and seventh seeds. Uh, what the hell's Flu Floosh, sixth versus 14th seeds. And you had G Skate and Yo Yo, who were the 41st and 49th seeds. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it is beautiful to see kind of big upsets. But at the same time, it's like, would you already call them upsets? I think like, Fabio was ninth seed, G-Skate was 41st, but to me that's a close race. I I love seeing these kind of, like, you can tell so many stories with it, but it's it's people who have always been on the radar and they were just kind of really looking for that f big, strong showing, and for a lot of people, this was it. Yeah, and I think I think we all saw that in season four. Like, I think I think all of us knew that the branch out to top 64 was, was going to happen. Like, I think we all knew it was going to happen because you look at... Yeah, yeah, because you look at season four that was still a top 32, and you look at who was 33 through 40-some-odd, and they were like big, big-name runners that didn't make the main tournament because they had just squeaked out. And so looking at top 64, you know, and even kind of that 33rd through 64th place, and you see how many points kind of separates the group, it's not much. Like it was a tight bottom half of the bracket, like tight bottom half, because the 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 caliber of all the runners as a whole has just gone up. Yeah, I think it's the closest season for qualification points. <laughs> like it's if you thought season three, season four were bad, season five was like kind of a new level of that. So I, I think the top sixty-four expansion was very much needed. And we wouldn't have had these great stories like G-Skate versus Yo-Yo deep in the tournament mm -hmm. um, if it hadn't expanded. <laughs> and saying about the kind of people who missed out in Season 4, even with the move to Top 64, a lot of the people who were in the Season 3, Season 4 brackets didn't make Top 64 in Season 5. <laughs> so it, just, it really goes to show just like how much the community has grown and how much it's improved over the last year or two. It's incredible to see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think one of, the, one of the challenges that 
that was faced in moving to top 64. And I don't know if there's, you know, ever going to be an answer to this is, um, the, the the concise nature of top 32 being able to be restreamed. You know, I, I remember I started watching season two, uh, and just got hooked. I mean, hooked in round one and being able to watch all the different matches, you know, through top, you know, top 32, all the way into the grand finals. Um, Top 64 made that a little bit harder from a, from a viewer's perspective. Um, but that said, you know, talking about all these runners, I don't think there's any way that you could ever cap it at top 32 anymore based off of the caliber of the runners and just, just how strong those 33 through 64 truly are. Yeah. With the new like way that we're doing fair play agreement now too, I think they you know, quote unquote contactless FPA is really just going to keep going forward wherever we can use it. It's just been such a transformation on the volunteer side and allows a lot of restreams to happen that otherwise wouldn't have. Um, and kind of picking and choosing, I think, is more about where we should probably be as a community. Like, you know, if we're going to restream this match because it's expected to be very close or. You know, it's really close in terms of the seeding, like a two versus six matchup versus like a one versus 60 matchup. You know, and it's probably going to go towards the one. But if it doesn't, hey, a great rewatch. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think being a little bit more not exclusive, just picky in terms of like what gets restreamed. I think that kind of has to be the case now because just you, ca- you can't guarantee restreams like this if it's a top 64. It's just too much. No, there's no way. There's no way. Uh, and I think I think it was it was and you know it was it was a sacrifice, but I think it was it was a well thought through and and ultimately a good sacrifice to ensure that we had you know that the community was able to get more runners on the grand stage of season five. Mm-hmm. Plus, like with the features of race time and everything, it's not like people can't watch the races just because there's no restream. Like it kind of draws a bit more attention to those runners to bring people in and watch those races through other means. And like, I don't know. I don't think it's a bad thing to say not every race has to be restreamed and you can just watch the runners racing without having commentators, without having them side by side on the same stream, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it kind of just exposes you to a lot of different things you might not have watched otherwise. Like if you're just watching on the restream side, you only see two boxes and you know, you're yelling all your memes and rush ice, whatever in chat. Um, And you just, you don't really get that kind of, it's not like you're going to have interaction with the runner anyway. They're pretty focused on the tournament match, but just being able to like see different setups, see different, just channels communities, um, I think is a, only a good thing for the most part. And the, the perfect example of that to me is Keizo. I remember watching Keizo for ages in tournament races and in weeklies and that kind of thing and never thought anything of it. And then the first time I actually saw his stream and he sat there in like the most ridiculous onesie I have ever seen. I was like, <laughs> what? what is this guy? <laughs> Just like yeah. instant follow. You're like, I need more of this. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you would have gotten that because typically we probably wouldn't show that on a restream <laughs> for obvious mm-hmm. reasons. But um, um, if you don't mind me kind of going going off topic here, uh, it's still on us five though. Uh, the grand finals match, Cariosa versus Sponge. 
Uh, I would love to hear y'all's thoughts on this. So going back and rewatching it, I know Emo, you were doing comms on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cariosa got a huge advantage by doing GTG incredibly, incredibly out of logic uh, and finding what the seed would say is strength three, which ended up being Cariosa's first strength. Whereas Sponge stayed, I mean, so, so in logic the entire seed and found their strength uh, you know, under this, behind this really complex string of logic involving Hyrule Castle Fairy, getting Hammer, going and getting ZL, going and doing Death Mountain Crater Fairy. Uh, and just kind of interesting watching that out of logic versus strict in logic mentality and how it paid off for Karyos in the grand finals. Uh, just thinking about, you know, what are your, what are y'all's thoughts on, you know, pushing the out of logic plays versus staying staunchly in logic, having just watched it in the grand finals. I'm always a big fan of runners going out of logic. I think it's really important as a runner to know where you can and can't go out of logic and to kind of aggressively push that, but just keep track of it. But with that said, I didn't agree with Karyos' reasoning for it. I agreed with the play, but not the why. Um, but then again, I'm not in a position to really argue that one. Cariosa is the unbeaten <laughs> runner, and I'm here having not played for a year and a half. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, the, the backseat coaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it was really curious to hear, like... Oh, I went there because I had a bow that was hinted, and so I thought it might lead to something. And it's like, there's a lot of bow checks in the game. That mm-hmm. kind of, it, it sounded odd hearing it, but I agreed with the play. And I mean, obviously it works out. So it is what it is. I think it was somewhat of a meta play by Cariosa. I mean, he's coming from the winner's bracket, so he could do pretty much whatever he wants this, this seed. And if it doesn't work out, well, at least he tried something you know, kind of low percentage in, in that he really didn't have anything except the bow when he went to GTG. So finding the strength exactly where it was, uh, <laughs> having the exact keys usage for it too, it was like, wow. <laughs> like yeah. it's, didn't see that really paying off, but it, even if he only had gotten the bomb shoes there, though, that still would have led him to another strength and still would have led him to Forest earlier than Sponge. So I, I don't know. I, I think he knew it was a huge risk to take, but it was 30 minutes in and neither player had a bomb bag. So I think at one, once you're in, kind of in that position, you kind of have to just say screw bomb bag and just go get your explosives, go get your progression done, because you're probably going to find a bomb bag or more chews possibly so i think with the game yeah for all that he said in the interview oh i went there because i had a bow and i thought it would lead to this the bomb shoes were the real reason that was yeah yeah so Mm -hmm. it's it's definitely a play that made a ton of sense at the time just paid out in a very unexpected way yeah and that's and that's why you know i kind of posed the question in the first place is you know, it's something that I always think about when I'm when I'm routing, you know. I I don't have opponents. I know it's buried hella deep. I have no idea where long shot is. You know, I I, I same thoughts when I'm when I'm thinking about going ice cavern and doing King Zora skip. You know, if I don't have letter and I have no idea where it is, is this truly worth it? 
or could let her be in Ganon's castle. And I just, you know, I just screwed myself because I went in a place the seed never expected me to go. And kind of looking at Cariosa in that, you know, looking at where Pona's was, looking at where Longshot ended up being, like the seed never expected them to go to, to GGG. And yet, you know, that was that was the perfect routing play to get Cariosa into their second strength, which just kind of steamrolled the seed forward. So and I agree with you, you know, it was a it was a go for bomb choose, get bailed out on a strength. Uh, but it was just very interesting watching the two different play styles and how how much it paid off for Cariosa. It was almost like Sponge was playing a beatable only seed, like with all locations reachable off. Like it was almost to that extent in that he was staying in logic. And I, I think that's a good place to be. I mean, he didn't have a game to give. Cariosa probably knew he was going to play relatively safe. So, And for something like explosives, that can just lead to it's so many checks. And you can scum just a 10-pack for pretty much everything early on. So hmm. makes sense to me. Yeah. I think the other thing on that note is that both two of them are the, the probably the two best one V one runners in the community at this point. And I feel like it's really easy to kind of be like, Oh, did they stay too in logic on sponge side? Was carrier too risky going out of logic on that side, but in a weekly or in like a qualifier. Yeah, probably. But in a head to head, you're not trying to beat 100 people. You're trying to beat one. And so kind of taking that almost like min-max decision, this like high-risk, high-reward kind of play, might be the play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just the 1v1 nature is just completely different from qualifiers, from, from weeklies. It's kind of another great reason why people should go take a look at League, you know, Season 3 coming up. Um, it's just a, a really good opportunity to get 10 guaranteed matches of 1v1s. If you've never 1v1 before, you might want to practice it before you're in a tournament. Uh, you, you kind of find yourself in that position. You want to know what it's like, right? So I, I think it's different enough from these big, huge races of qualifiers and weeklies that just having more opportunities to have that is just a great thing. And uh, yeah, Curiosa yeah, did end up on top here 208 30 versus sponges 217 which very close finish i think they were both in spirit their last uh, medallion relatively the same time i think sponge was entering as Kyrgios was leaving and beating twinrova so it really just came down to strength placements and if if sponge had found his strength any earlier um if there just happened to be an easier one i think he would have won yeah like it, it just the, the time it takes to go across haunted wasteland to spend time in GTG. If there wasn't anything in GTG, I think Sponge actually was in a great position to win too. Um, well, and in really that mirror shield placement at the end, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better mirror shield for Kyriosa. Yeah, yeah. You beat Water Temple, which is a medallion. You come out, you do a few rolls, you shoot the sun, you're like, oh, well, there's my go mode. Okay, let's go. Um, but I mean, had it been anywhere in, in fire temple, for example, you know, sponge had the hammer and was rip roaring and ready to go. So I, I think that it kind of was a combination of, you know, maybe a little bit of luck, but also some, some pretty good gambles, some great routing on Karyos' side and overall good execution that allowed him to, to take that, that last win that he needed. Yeah, I think the performances from both of them were great. I mean, it, you take either of their routes and you put it into like a, a weekly or a qualifier 
uh, format, I think they're probably still in top five. In oh, those. both of them, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like these are great times for the seed too. So, and not to mention, Carriosa won the EU Weekly before the race happened. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was interesting that he joined. I was like, okay, was Sponge here too? Is he just, no, okay. And then just, yep, first place, Carriosa by like 20 minutes or something. Um, you know, it's just... <laughs> What a Com- what a flex! Dominance. Win the dominance. weekly, turn around and win S five. You know it's fine. Doesn't have to play a second uh, match for the grands. Yeah, it's just yeah. turning up all Carioso. So it'll be great to see season six. I know there's a lot of memeing. Uh, <laughs> Even during the grand finals for season five, there's already like, oh, what about the settings for season six? Uh, but cows are cancer. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, <laughs> okay, okay. You know, it's going to be a, a few weeks at the very least, a few months before anything happens main season. So mm-hmm. um, I think that like general turnaround time is, is good still. I mean, a, a fall tournament that has New Year, uh, Double elimination, top 64 probably again. And I'm sure there's going to be a signature setting for season six. I mean, I think every every season has had one uh, up to this point. So wouldn't be too surprised if we see something new. But if we see something like no changes, maybe one change, that could also be a thing. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of there's a lot of time between now and then. So I think a lot of stuff in the randomizer could change. New settings that aren't even a thing yet. We don't even have an idea of like what like the environment's going to be like when this next season six tournament happens. So it'll be, it'll be cool to see um, where that goes and ends up, but uh, hats off to Karyosa. Yeah. Well, and I keep saying that, you know, season four had the massive change of random spawn. Season five had the, the fairly massive change of just as much as contents. I'm like, we've, we've exhausted all of our massive changes and I'm sure season six will find some massive change and I'll be like, oh, I didn't see that coming. What? Yeah. Mind blown, you know, um, because you're right. Like every season has had some big change that's shaken up the formula to keep it from being stale. And I think it's I think it's been healthy overall. You know, I remember approaching season three feeling like, OK, we have the opener mastered like you do open grotto, you catch the owl, you do the night market like. First 20 minutes was basically set. And I think that was that was what excited me so much about season four was it was just like, oh, my opener is so fresh. And, you know, season Doing five. Music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so and so, you know, it's I, I'm really excited for season six. And I mean, even if they were to keep it similar to season five, I still think there's enough variety in season five already that season six would have a lot of a lot of freedom of, of racers and expression and how they want to approach these seeds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think S3 to S4 was like a necessary experiment, like a ton of stuff changed and it was almost in a lot of ways, it was kind of like throwing a lot of things at the walls, see what sticks kind of thing. Um, open Ganon's early, not particularly great. Freeze oh yeah, that was a thing. I yeah, forgot about yeah, that. Was, oh god, that was an unfortunate thing. Like the early Ugh. hints as well, the hints that needed to be changed before the tournament started. Like there were definitely things that went wrong with it, but like Freezeel is universally loved. I don't oh, know anybody god. who dislikes that one, oh, and that's kind god. of it. Is it? <laughs> it did a lot. Like I, I feel like S four had some big flaws, but it, it was a necessary experiment at least. 
And then S5 has kind of moved on a bit from there and kind of changed a few little things. And I imagine 6 will do the same. I would be surprised if there are any huge, huge changes at this point. But there have to be some changes because people will expect at this point. People will expect a couple of changes at least. Yeah, I know the big one that's that's floating around in the uh, the under on the undergrounds of conversation is the idea of chest textures matches contents. Oh. Um, it's kind very of de- uh, which is very divisive. divisive. I get that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just just size matches contents was already divisive enough, but I know a lot of a lot of people are starting to gravitate towards that setting. Um, there's two camps for that setting. People that go sucks, and then other people that are like, cool. Okay. <laughs> like hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm I'm definitely in the it sucks camp, but okay. I would be a lot further away from it if the skull and the key ones didn't look so goddamn similar mm-hmm. from a distance. Which, to be fair, wouldn't matter for any of the main tournaments because you're not going to get a skull in a chest. But <laughs> uh, that's we, my we do, that's my one we, problem. We do have new textures. Uh, as of a couple weeks ago, there's been some new deployment on that in main dev, oh. I believe. So I would Ooh. take a second look at those because they're a little bit better. A little bit better. I um, I personally am a, am a huge fan of chest size matches contents generally. Uh, I think it makes places like GTG and Bottom of the Well a lot more fun. I think it um, makes for more creative routing and peaks. And I, I, I think it's, I, I've really enjoyed just as much as contents. Um, I know that not everyone does. Uh, I mean, it sounds like we've already have some, some pretty differing opinions, even in, even in this uh, podcast, but I, I've definitely been on the chess as much as contents camp. I think it's been great. I don't really have an opinion on it, actually. I, I'm actually pretty indifferent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't really care about it, to be honest. There's been so much happening uh, on the dev side that really the sky is the limit. I mean, it, I've been playing a lot of weird setting seeds just to get kind of an idea of well, what I, I mean. We just had what? Yeah. Pots and crates can now have items yep. and pots yeah, and sticks. So- yeah. <laughs> oh, Yoshi, why? No. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I don't want six hour seeds. That's why I don't play RSL. <laughs> so the feature is already merged into dev uh, dungeon shortcuts. So making shortcuts to the boss rooms. Boss room shuffle is also merged. Key rings are merged in, which is one item that has all the keys for a location. Uh, we got shop sanity prices. You have affordable. And it scales up to wallets now, including tycoons. So you can have something 999 rupees. Um, it, it's not good, so don't turn it on. But <laughs> um, the pre-plant magic beans option, uh, like we said, chest texture matches contents. Uh, the textures are still being tweaked. And it, it really just doesn't matter what the size is anymore. But again, that's kind of in development still. We're trying to still get chest size matches contents only back as well. Um, allow more than 100 gold skulls and Plando only. Uh, battle music can be disabled now. Uh, child trade item on D-pad rights and a wand generation in the offline build for VC players. Not to mention there's a lot of other features being tested available only on private branches. Kind of like Doc said, uh, shuffle pots is a thing now. Textures are available for that as well as shuffle crates 
also has textures available for it. Uh, it also makes empty water have 85 crates. And the, it's the best location in the game if crates are on. Are you but, kidding me? 85? Yes. But it's, that is something you can turn on and off is overworld only or dungeon only or both for, for both for all of those settings. No, 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 so, no. no. I, I, I'm still fixated on the fact that oh. developers <laughs> of Master Quest Water put 85 individualized pots and crates into that. My favorite. My favorite thing is like how often it's meant to be a puzzle. It's like you walk into this room and there's 12 crates and it's like, oh, one of them has a switch under it. Can you find which one? And it's like, well, yeah, eventually. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't a puzzle, developers. You just put a whole bunch of crates and said, have fun, Link. Go and destroy things. I know you like this so much. Now, beehives can also be shuffled as well. Uh, Frog songs, the other five child songs to the frogs, also becoming checks. You know, mm-hmm. like the things in the grottoes that normally give yeah, you yeah, those points? brown things on the on the wall. Oh my god, it can give you like a hook <laughs> shot. Yes. Okay, the devs have gone too far. Y'all, y'all need to <laughs> y'all need to rein this back. Look, hey, that's a great they setting. Gone, they have gone mad with power. <laughs> uh, also, freestanding rupees and hearts can now be shuffled. Uh, there's <laughs> one bonk ko. Uh, a lot of other just completely ludicrous stuff. Um, I will say I have done I have done a bonko seed and it was a sheer delight as I died like thirty times. It was a hot disaster. Yeah, I've been jamming a lot of seeds on the fuck dungeons preset that I made. Um, it <laughs> takes all the dungeon checks out; those are all dead. And you just try and find your trial items among pots, crates, beehives, frog songs, freestanding rupees and hearts. Oh my god. <laughs> And everything that outside. Hilarious. That's disgusting. It's, it's really funny. It, it's about as long as a weekly seed. So it's really not that bad. But uh, remembering all the locations is another thing entirely. Because uh, um, <laughs> you're running I, down like, oh, this location has two beehives. Getting a, a, an early rang now is amazing. Because you can break all the beehives with it. So that's mm-hmm. plus two checks per grotto, essentially. I, I remember during Bonko development, there's a clip out there somewhere. You'll have to find it. Mm-hmm. Where they gave King Dodongo Bonko, uh, yeah. Bonk Bonk. <laughs> oh, it's incredible! It is one of the greatest clips because you see him rolling. He hits the wall and immediately just dies. And it's a thing of sheer beauty. And I'm like, this is this is this is game development done right, right here. This is random development. The the, the beautiful side of it because it was just the funniest clip you'll ever see. God, it was so good. It's still a thing, by the way, in Bonko, <laughs> on uh, the main branch that supports it. King Dango still just dies. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. You can just stay like and have him breathe fire at you, right? And then he and rolls right. He's gonna hit the wall. You don't yeah, have yeah. to do anything. <laughs> so it's it's I really so. uh really awesome. But a, a lot of these features that can be found on the Maraxis branches, as well as a, a few other ones. Um, according to Vodzilla, the max number of checks now in Ocarina of Time randomizer is 1,175 in a oh single seed. Um, I had the pleasure of racing him in one of those seeds. Didn't finish for obvious reasons, but uh, man, he, he did three of those back to back. 
no, no absolutely, <laughs> crazy. absolutely no, crazy. Mm-mm, no, no. Bad, really, they were really bad settings for a reason. It was like a stress test. Look, but. I hate when a seed takes me more than three hours. Like, if I'm playing a seed for eight hours, something okay. went terribly wrong. How about ten hours? You like playing <laughs> seeds more than that? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's kind of that thing, not. So. Um. Yeah, just a lot of changes just within the randomizer itself. So I, really, the sky is the limit for Season 6. Any other tournament that wants to happen. Uh, RSL has been happening as well, Season 4. Uh, we've tried a new tournament format with Swiss pairings, kind of taking a book out of um, the Multi-World t- Season 2 tournament. And there's uh, no there's no tie breaks. We just have people race until they're done, essentially. Uh, and Top 8 advanced to a single elimination bracket, which should happen about a few weeks from now. Um, and yeah, tiebreaker races held if necessary, but other, other than that, um, it was split into top half, bottom half for the main season, uh, rankings. So if you made the top half, you always were guaranteed to get somebody in the lower half if possible based on record. So it added a lot of weight to the quote unquote qualifiers for RSL, but that's what we as organizers kind of wanted to still emphasize, even though we wanted to switch over to Swiss. So instead of having uh, be a double elimination bracket where the, the worst you can do is O2 and drop, right? Uh, this, at the very minimum, you get three matches guaranteed. And then you also get three more matches on top of that for everybody. So it kind of taking a, a variety of things from like League, from Multiworld, just trying new things as well and seeing if it works. And I think it's been a pretty successful uh, experiment. Um, and some new settings from Dev also made it in for this season. Uh, just textures, matches, contents, affordable shop sanity, and dungeon shortcuts, which all have had a pretty significant impact on the RSL meta. Um, and just a quick update on the Swiss. Uh, Marco went 6-0, unsurprisingly. Um, one of the best players out there. And I really made a push for the season uh, for RSL and just focusing more on that than the main tournament, I think. But um, yeah, undefeated in Swiss is amazing. Three people will be 5-1, 9 or 10 people will be 4-2. And uh, I guess we'll see who makes top 8. I'm out, but <laughs> it's still it was still a ton of fun for me. And uh, I think we've had a lot better matches. The quality of matches has been a lot better. So I, I don't know. I, I think for a main season tournament, Swiss is a potential thing that should be at the very mm. least considered. That is, I was about to say, that is a conversation that that's an entirely oh, yeah, God, about qualifiers yeah. for SX. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, mm, yeah. That is a big mm. conversation to have, but I'm yeah. generally a big fan of Swiss. I will that's all I can say on that is I like Swiss formats a lot. As somebody mm-hmm. with a card game history, Swiss is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for a lot of reasons. I mean, there's a couple kinks here and there that should probably be uh fixed if it were to be used in like a main season like that. But I think there's a lot of potential for it and for the players, at least, it's a lot of fun. So I, I don't know. It's definitely uh, it's a, such a big concept to tackle, but I'm sure we'll get there when we get there in the next few months. But some other things that have also been happening, uh, Trials of the Grudo, that was uh, kind of a weird, uh, not really weird, it was just a different kind of event, kind of meant to be more casual, right? Held by the Scrubs community. Yeah, um, I was actually I was actually in it. Uh, it okay. actually just wrapped up today. The last trial uh, closed today. So speaking of things that wrapped up in the last few days, um, 
And yeah, no, I, it was a grand old time. You know, every trial was something different. Some of them were master quests. Some of them were entrance randos. Some of them were, uh, this most recent one was, uh, Ganon castle trials. So like forest trial, water trial. Um, and so it was, it was a, a fun way to just like get to know other people in the community. You would all get a seed. And so you'd plan it out ahead of time and you'd work together to route out like what are the best routes and you'd work together to help each other learn tricks and tips. And, uh, I learned how to do bow extension just recently because of one of these trials. So yeah, I also had to learn how to do spirit trial without a hook shot, which is a goddamn disaster. Yeah, Um, there were, I mean, it was a very team focused as well, right? You had a lot of, uh, team pride. Like I think it was like red masks or something. Uh, Mm mm-hmm. I, every time anybody has spoken to me about the team names, I've misheard all of them. So it's now the Dull Wings <laughs> instead of the Gold Wings and the Violent Blades instead of the Violet Blades. Everyone. Uh, well, I was part of the Goldilocks. Um, that was my team. Um, and yeah, no, it was, I mean, we had, we had people who were top 32 all the way to people who had never played a seed in their life um and every and and they did such a good job of encouraging people regardless of skill level to do runs and submit runs you know a lot of the challenges were based off of you would get rewards based off of the number of submissions that you had with some bonus points for top times so you know some of the best runners would try to grind it out but even even you know some of these runners who had never played ocarina of time before know we're encouraged to participate and help with routing or even just do runs and submit because everything counted towards the team score so i got to meet a whole bunch of really cool people um that i wouldn't have met otherwise so i i thought it was i thought it was very well organized and well executed so i had a great time when i first heard about it it kind of sounded like the ocs the ot championship series um, the same sort of like styles of challenges and just like a OCS, but with a rando spin on it. But the more I've heard about it and the more like I've spoken to people about it, I'm like, the team emphasis has been the big part of it. The actual OOT feels like it's almost, almost taken a backseat to the kind of cooperative format. And mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, I think that's a really good thing because like you say, it it focuses on that kind of community side of things. There's a very big part of OT where you can only have one person really playing a seed. Like, yeah, you have co-op and multi-world and things like that, but there's still only one person with the controller playing at a time. And kind of bringing in that community building side of it is, I think, a really good approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I first started getting into it, kind of season two, season three of um ocarina of time randomizer uh i i know that there was some concern about the community and just kind of general distance and dissonance in the community and i feel like that's something that i've really noticed change over the last kind of year or so like i feel like the ocarina of time community while we still disagree on a lot of things don't get me wrong here but I feel like by and large, the community has become a lot more friendly, a lot more accepting, a lot more willing to help. Um, and that's been really cool to watch of just like, yeah, we're just a group of people who love playing this game. And if you want in, like, come on in, welcome, have some fun. Um, versus kind of that more cutthroat, toxic 
uh, OOTR that I feel like has been part of the history. And so I think that's, I don't know, it's been a cool shift that I've seen in the last year or so that I've been, you know, it's been really fun being a part of. For sure. Uh, it just, it's, it was cool seeing it just take a different spin on the game too. Just, it's a different way you interact with randomizer. It's a different way that you kind of engage with it. So just no one else is doing it. So the way that they did with trials with Gerudo. So I, I think just having something different like that is just refreshing and, um, it's great for some people, not necessarily for everybody. I didn't join it for, for example, but, um, Speaking of new things as well, uh, some new settings by Iligatsua, um, Triforce Blitz. I don't know a whole lot about it yet, and I'm sure we'll do a future episode about it, but that's also been kind of in the works. The premise fascinates me, and also, and I mean this in the, like, nicest, Ela's, like, one of the most innovative players in the community in my mind, and they are the most Ela settings I could have ever seen. Um... The general premise is you get three, exactly three Triforce pieces. So it's a three-piece Triforce hunt where you need all three. Um, but you are told exactly which sphere each piece is in. Wait, what? <laughs> you get your Temple of Time hints will tell you the exact spheres for the pieces. And so you'll be told, you know, piece one is sphere zero or whatever, and you know that it's a sphere, or sphere one, I think it doesn't use zero, um, and you'll have to go and do sphere one checks to try and find that piece. It doesn't include keys in those spheres, so there's kind of an extra level to figuring out your dungeon routing. Um, Spirit Temple becomes a whole extra nightmare on top of what it normally is. But it's it's a fascinating, like, absolutely just it's a wild format and i i'm really excited to see how that one plays out hmm it'll be great to see how it develops it's just kind of weird like going up to a hinstone it's like beast 2 is in sphere 21 like um no thank you nothing plays out the same way so like i don't know it's it's definitely piqued my interest i haven't really tried it but I'm sure it'll probably go somewhere in the future. I think they're aiming to get like uh, enough interest behind it for a, a tournament or a blitz tournament of some sort, but it's about all I know at the moment. Mm-hmm. And coming soon uh, for entrance randomizer lovers out there, we have the mixed pools tournaments in the works. I can guarantee you that um, we're just kind of finalizing some settings and I'm sure we'll also have an episode about that in the future, but by the time that this is out, I will probably have made an announcement already. So um, look forward to that in June. I also want to shout out to the Go Mode podcast, our cousin podcast uh, for the a Link to the Past randomizer. They did an episode on Ocarina of Time randomizer recently with Trez as a guest. Um, and that's also linked in the Gossip Stone podcast channel on the Discord. So I would definitely recommend that you go check that out. It's a pretty good watch or a good, <laughs> yeah, a good watch on the podcast. It was, it was a good listen. And that will do it for this week on the podcast. Thanks again to Yoshi Kion and Doc Heaps for joining me as guests. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Emo. It was a it was a true delight hanging out with the coach themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm always here. 
Uh, thanks also to Ronan Recordings and Winnie Demon, our editor and scriptwriter, respectively. Uh, they do a lot of work, and without them, we wouldn't have a podcast. So many thanks to them. And we'll see you all next time on the Gossip Stone Podcast. Gossip Stone.